Hello, this is Mary. And this is Chandler. And you're listening to The Miss Fisher Files. Welcome back. Today we are talking Season 2, Episode 8, The Blood of Juana the Mad. Juana. Juana. La Loca. (laughs) Actually, that was her name. Oh, yeah? She was a Spanish queen in the uh, early 16th century who apparently went cuckoo when her husband, Philip the Handsome... No way. Can't make that up. No way. Uh, When he died, she apparently went nuts. And they described it as melancholia, which probably is just, you know, she was probably depressed because her husband died. That's sad. But also, her, quote, madness was also attributed to her potentially being a sympathizer of Martin Luther and the Reformation. Oh, wow. So maybe she wasn't mad. Maybe she just was a Protestant. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Fun fact. Melancholia. That's so sad. Yeah. That, was that like the 15th century's version of like hysteria? Yeah, I suppose so. Seriously. Right. Women and their illnesses. <laughs> Women. Now it's fibromyalgia, what they say, you know. <laughs> right. I know fibromyalgia is a real thing. It is a real thing, But that seems yeah. to be what they lump. If they don't know what's wrong mm-hmm. with you and you're a lady, right. that's what they tell you you exactly. have. Because they don't want to admit they have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and scene. <laughs> So we did something today that we hadn't done before, and Chandler and I actually sat down and watched this episode together. Together. First which, time. First time. Yeah. And it was really fun. There and was, it was less cackling than I thought there'd be, but there was some <laughs> cackling. Well, this isn't a cackle-worthy episode. It's not episode. really a cackler. I mean, there are a few spots, but not There's generally. There's some absurdity, like, but there was a fair amount of snorting on, <laughs> on my part, I think. Yeah. This is not my favorite episode. Not mine either. Yeah. And just the whole... the. This one's just kind of sad and hard to watch Yeah, in general. This is the of- Academia episode, and I watched this the first time with my husband, and he, having been through a lot of grad school, he went to 14 years of higher ed. Whoa. So, yeah, he's got a few degrees and oh, wow. in a couple different, totally different disciplines. He started over a few times. Oh, so my gosh. He knows a lot about academia and actually left academia because he didn't want to teach in higher ed anymore. Wow. So. He knows a lot about it. And he walks in and he's like, yep, that's what grad school was like. <laughs> people, like a lot of murders were there? And he said, no, but. But people planting uh, dead tons rats. Tons of or prejudice mice. and backstabbing. And, yeah. You know. I definitely People that. with, let's say, neuroatypical behavior <laughs> hanging out in the university. You know, there's a lot of that. I yeah. Think I could see academia it. is kind of a haven for that sort of thing, and also the the whole like the toxicity thing with the competing professors and everything. And mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of toxicity. Not so much murder, but tons of toxicity. Let's just say that. I'm guessing the gender disparity is still oh yeah there quite a bit. And yeah, probably still toxic as well. Yeah, I think the 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 academic gender disparity du jour is, and this happens to both genders because it depends on. Who, who it is in the situation, but people who are in academia and try to have families mm. tend to have a hard time because yeah. academia is not in general supportive of such a thing. In fact, to the point where they are often, and I know I'm generalizing here, but I, I know a lot of people who have gone through this, including people in my own family. And 
I hear a lot of reports of things like academia just kind of pretending that that sort of thing doesn't happen and lesser mortals are the ones who have families and you know if you're really dedicated to your field of study then you wouldn't you know you just make that all go away right and so there's no support systems whether you're a woman or a man hmm. and it's it's really hard so that i think that is a struggle and that's kind of the struggle that's du jour a field that i would think would be so much easier yeah, to handle a family yeah. and your career. Yeah. I mean, you have office hours, you have class time, Summer's but it's not off. like nine to five. Yeah. Right. And then you have this big chunk of time. Right. I, the problem comes from, at least in in American academic circles, the problem comes with this publisher parish phenomenon, which oh, has sure. been around for a, a long time. So yeah. it's not enough to just teach your classes. You also are expected to be furthering research, bringing in grant money to your university, publishing papers on a regular basis, not just once or twice. Like you have to keep going with that. Hmm. And and it's a lot of pressure. And so I know my yeah. husband's always saying things like, if you're in academia, you can you if you're expected to do three things, you know, do teach, do your academic work and have your personal life and you can pick any two of those things to do well. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. That applies to so many yeah. things. Yeah. So huh. you see a lot of Choose people two. who are dedicated to their research but terrible teachers or who are right excellent teachers and amazing researchers but who have completely messed up family lives and and it's it's not fair to anybody really, right the system. So I, I have the feels about this. <laughs> this this triggered some yeah, things. This is, there's some trigger issues here. <sighs> when yeah. we started, you said Asperger's and academia, my favorite combination. <laughs> totally. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I mean, I my heart goes out to anybody who is on the spectrum, or who has loved ones, or family members, or colleagues, or whatever on the spectrum. But dear God, it's that is some tiresome business. If it is very hard. It even I think it's challenging to Franny in this episode too. Oh, and and dot and yeah. But I love the the line that um, Beatrice says really sums it up, where she says, "People are confusing," <laughs> and it's so true. Yeah. I think of of people who Amen. struggle with that, who are on that spectrum, because they might be completely brilliant and. Literal rocket science might not be confusing to them at right. all, but reading un- unspoken cues, emotions, totally confusing. Mm-hmm. So, well, and Franny totally identified. She's like, "Yes, people are yeah. confusing." I love that little scene where they're they have their they're head, up against foreheads. the pillars. Uh, <laughs> it's really touching. I feel like I was watching it with maybe my husband, and he thought it was possibly patronizing mm. that Franny does that with her. It feels but, like I don't know. I didn't I didn't find it to be patronizing. I understood how it could be, but I think just knowing Franny as a character and then how she continues to help Beatrice, she wasn't trying to be patronizing. Yeah. She was actually trying to get to Beatrice's level right. so that she was comfortable. I think if she had opened her mouth, it could have been patronizing, but she didn't. Mm-mm. She just waited her out. Yep. She waited for Beatrice to come to her. And I think it's another example of Franny supporting women, yes. even women who don't fit her yep. type. This one is so interesting. We've seen her support women in all these different ways. Sometimes it amounts to like throwing money at things. Right. But in this particular instance, she is right in there with Beatrice. Yeah. And she clearly doesn't understand 
Beatrice and, you know, her oddities. Like, they are still jarring. Um, she's caught off guard. She watches Dot be caught off guard. And there's not... And it's got to be, I'm sorry, yeah, annoying. Well, My God. Yeah, but, but she's also, like, she's trying to help despite not fully understanding. And also try to see her point of view in mm-hmm. some, like, not just not patronize her, not right. say, well, get with the program or get the hell out. Because obviously Beatrice is not getting with any program. Right. Right. Beatrice and has her own program and that's the way it is. Yeah. And Franny can see that in the end, Beatrice is going to do brilliant work and right. has the right idea about things. She might not be playing by the same rules as the right. rest of society, but Franny's like helping her just to get to the end where she right. comes out, you know, she emerges victorious. But so, here, herein lies the inherent sexism because... Women are not the only ones who are on the spectrum. In fact, I, I think it's more common in men. Yeah. But how much, how often and through the ages have we put up with mm-hmm. weirdo men who may or may not be on the spectrum, who don't conform to societal niceties, yep. and we put up with it? Case in point, Sherlock, Sherlock. Holmes. I know. That's why I, I, couldn't, mean, I couldn't watch it anymore. And not but even, yeah, even if you don't even example. take into account the modern Sherlock with Saskatchewan pancake stack, um, <laughs> Fraggle Rock ampersand, whatever. <laughs> Even if you don't take that into account, reading yeah. the original books, I mean, they were written in the Victorian era, 1895, I think they were. And hello. Yeah, I feel like those qualities have always been celebrated in right. men. He's, just, them, he's brilliant and he yeah. doesn't have time for the social yeah. niceties. Yeah. But women are only, they don't, who cares how brilliant a woman might be? Right. She has to be all about the social niceties mm-hmm. or or we're not going to have any room for her. She has to be society. warm and welcoming and play by the rules and do everything Take care expected. of all the men's feelings, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, or she's and so if you have someone who not only is like Mac, I would say is brusque mm-hmm. and doesn't bother with taking care of men's feelings, but Beatrice just plain doesn't understand them i mean it's just not but she tried she was saying she said people it's it's polite to accept an invitation and she has she doesn't know that she's accepting an invitation to be taken advantage of and (laughs) you know possibly sexually assaulted or i mean that that's what's really tragic about this is that people obviously prey on these vulnerable vulnerabilities oh rented lips (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's interesting to watch Franny kind of navigate this. And so I and guess... And Dot, too. And Dot. Um, yeah, I don't... I think Franny's really out of step in ways that she isn't usually. Yeah. Because of it. And... But also is just right there. Like... Yeah. Uh, and also partly doing... She's helping Beatrice while also trying to make sure that Beatrice stays close to her and not as close to Jack. Like, she's she's trying right. to kind of get in the way of Jack's investigation, right. I think, to some degree. Um, but Beatrice does clearly need a place to live. Right. So... Franny's got Yeah, room. because did you catch that bit about how female students are, well, they're allowed to go to the university, but they can't live on campus. <laughs> They'll be tolerated during the day, barely. Right. But, but we don't want to know what happens yeah. to them at night. Yeah. I mean, who cares? I know. I think Beatrice is a really interesting character because she is both repellent and endearing. She is difficult to take, and it's interesting to watch Jack and Hugh try to, quote-unquote, deal with her. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, and that's what they're doing. They're not trying to understand. They're not trying to help. They're trying to just deal with her and and do their jobs. And I think, I mean, I can see it would be 
very difficult right. to try to get past her to do their jobs. Right. But the well, fact and Friday's not helping with the whole, <laughs> oh, do you need that? Oh, can I sit here? Oh. I really do love watching her be a thorn in his side and just try to like ingratiate herself into this case, even though Mac asked her. So, yeah. And I love that the cold open is Mac. Mm -hmm. Like we, we are focused on Mac in that first scene. It gets disgusting. And especially the slit across. I mean, they are not rotted. It's so gross, but I kind of love like the flourish of pulling back the sheet and, oh my goodness, it's not this young woman. It's Professor Katz. Ah! I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you kids. (laughs) Yeah. There is something sort of Scooby-Doo about it, but I, and I like that, but I also love that Mac is in this one in different ways. like, so, she's actually... I don't understand. I thought Mac worked at the hospital. I did too. Why? I guess maybe, I mean, is this a thing that medical professionals can do? Like they can teach at a university and also... I suppose. Tend to patients at the hospital? It could be a I university don't. hospital too. Oh, sure. But I yeah. guess I like, thought... Well, no, it's the women's hospital of Melbourne, right? That she works at? Oh, right. Maybe it's like Jack. There's only three cops in Melbourne, two of whom are crooked, and <laughs> so there's only one doctor. has to go to every single and it happens to be back. <laughs> investigation. You may be right. <laughs> yep. Yeah, because in um, the factory episode, she, she yeah, has... Yeah, she's also the factory doctor. Yeah. Because like there's a, only one doctor. She has a private client who's right. like the owner of the factory. Right. So All these that's... people in Melbourne must be pissed that they only have one doctor in the whole city <laughs> and it's a woman. <laughs> So yeah, Mac. She's just everywhere, except not in. I think Mac is secretly the murderer every time. Ooh, because she's always there, right? Right. Well, I mean, they tried to make that case. And who can uh, falsify data better than a doctor? Right. Sorry, Mac. I love you. (laughs) I'm just giving you a hard time. I often think that about Franny too. Like, oh yeah, she like should murder be. she wrote Jessica Fletcher totally right, off right. all of them. She should be yeah. the murderess because she is she the had common access. denominator. Yeah, exactly. Hello, the common razor people. <laughs> <laughs> but seeing Franny so sad in this one, like the first shot of her, she's walking through the cloisters, um, and she's. I love that cloche, by the way. Yeah, the like animal print, leopardish. She's using those same like chiseled peacock feathers or oh, yeah, whatever they are they ostrich trimmed, feathers yeah. trimmed into those diamonds and yeah. the soundtrack is going because she's sad yeah but she's just very sad in this one and it's so unusual to see it and I don't like it I uh, I think you had, you you did not have as much patience for this whole story I just wrote in all caps awkward <laughs> The meeting, yes, when when she's in with Mac and they're looking at the body, and then Jack comes in with that other professor. Yeah. Oh my gosh, so awkward. I just, just uh, want to die. I just want to be like, okay, that was a whole episode and a half ago. Like, <laughs> it was. It was no. The last I guess it one. was the previous one. Yeah, like they had just broken up. He had come by late at night. Broken up. And well, I mean, yeah. you know, but he also had like revealed the the his feelings to her. No more, more or less. Detective so, versions of booty calls, like <laughs> calling late at night. I have a body. <laughs> body calls. Body calls. Yeah. Yeah. I just. So it's just, I mean, they're coming off of that, like but quote he's unquote so breakup. But hurt. I just. Yes, he is being very, very silly and stupid and immature about this. And Franny is not exactly her best self no, during this whole thing. No, she's acting like the little sister, like 
mom, she's Pokemon. <laughs> she's like poke. I mean, it's neither of them are exactly being their best selves. Yeah. And, and it's as frustrating as it is to watch. And, it, and it's annoying too, because we're like, come on, just move past yeah. this. And we know they will, but, um, I also really enjoy it. I like the dynamics and I, I like that awkwardness. It's, uh, oh. yeah, it's super awkward. There's in that so room. much awkward in this episode yeah. between Beatrice and Franny <laughs> and, and Jack. And Franny, and yeah. It's true. Oh. This is the awkward episode. Yeah. Ugh. Well, yeah. But it's fun to see a different side of Franny. And I think there are a few times in here where I feel like she is closer to Essie Davis than to Franny. Like there are a couple mannerisms and I was trying to remember exactly where I saw them, but she'll say something a certain way or like act a certain way. And I don't, I've seen some interviews that Essie Davis has done. That's really my full extent you okay. know, knowledge of Essie Davis as a human being, but yeah. I, I feel like there's more Essie Davis in this episode than there usually is. Interesting. Maybe there's something about this that struck a chord with her or, yeah. Or well, maybe I she mean, just Franny had a lot of fun always, with it. And... But you know, like in this one, Franny's more real. She's a real woman. She's like yeah. hurting and not her best self. And we see, we hardly ever see her that way. True. She's like the superhero woman in True. all the other episodes. So perhaps she's just more human. I think that theory bears itself out too, because in the end, when they do make up sort of sort she's, of she's it back is. to superhero though she's like <sighs> hopping on that motorcycle with him and <laughs> i know i they don't adequately make our up. Eyes like and... they talk at the end it, it does not it does not get past the okay but this is an era where men do not talk things out jack is not a man who talks things that's out that's true Jack is a let's go see the horrors of war and bottle it up for 15 years kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. He's not going to talk it out. That's probably true. Um, it's a whole generation of guys not talking things out. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. I, you know, I don't, I have almost nothing in terms of plot notes or quotes. I have almost nothing because who the hell cares if you ask me? <laughs> That's um, all I have. So, okay. Answer is me. Because you're, I saw, I was looking <laughs> over at you and you're like writing down notes with quotes and things. And I'm like, screw this. And I'm just like looking at the, <laughs> look at the, the men's wear the, the, and the backgrounds. Oh my God. I know. That's the best so location funny. ever. Like, oh my goodness. Look at that hearth. And I was like, oh yes, that is a hearth. And I'm like, I, but, <laughs> the tile would work. Oh, hate that lampshade. Like I just went on and on and on. I have so many. So many notes about that. That was a magnificent location. It was. That they were in. And we have, other than that staircase with the stained glass window that you said we've seen, and I I can't place it. I'm not sure that it's it's the same one. I can't um, place it. So it's not very, the one from the very first episode. Cocaine where they, Blues and also Murder at the Grand or Death at the Grand. Different. Always forget. Yeah, I think it is different. I, Tumblr Army bear us out. Originally, on this. I thought they were the same, but I don't think they I are. I think they're different. So, um, I stairwell stained glass windows from the Victorian era are fairly common. So I, I hmm. think they're probably. I mean, that is a stairwell. Like that is a. It, it's it a is hell not of a window. Yeah, but the real stained glass window that drove me bananas was the one on that door. Where yeah. every little paint, there's like these little, it's like, you mean in the it's entryway? like fleur in glass. Like okay. it had these little flowers in like a square grid. And then it, it looks like, it looks like something out of a church in Oxford or something. Or mm-hmm. um, And you said that that is a Catholic school. It is. It's a girl, a Catholic girl's school now. I it's, would believe um, that by the, like, it looked like religious 
yeah. glass, like the kind of stuff you see in a the church. The name of the building is Laredo Mandeville Hall. And it's in Turek, Melbourne, which is like a suburb of Melbourne. And well, add that to the list of things I want to see yeah, when we go know, there together right? someday. I really want to go there. And so I was, I was fascinated by the cloisters, and yeah. those are at the University of Melbourne. Yes. Um, which makes sense because they do look very Oxford. They look like they look, yeah. super. Oxford was what know, I was thinking. Yeah, the whole the British whole time. university very, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the interiors. So both that entryway with the amazing stained glass mm-hmm. um, and those columns, and then the room where they do the uh, interviews with the right. big long dining and the, table. The ceilings in there were so <laughs> high, like yeah. twenty five foot, yeah. like Italian Renaissance type ceilings. They are crazy they high. Had, they even had paintings, like not real frescoes. Probably they would stopped really doing frescoes by that point. But hmm. they had, you know, paintings up up in the Clare, where the Clara story would be, way up high. Wow, it yeah, was it's pretty a crazy. stunning location. So I don't know what it was originally built as, but now I would believe. It's a, like a school or a like yeah. a religious school kind. Of, I would believe that maybe <laughs> I don't know, but um, oh god, the woodwork in there! Oh my god, <laughs> like those they had these fireplaces with these hearths and there's a there's a I think it's the it's the hearth the fireplace that's in the main room where all the skulls are on the shelf and there's that big long table in the room. Mm-hmm. So it's not the pri- it's not anybody's private study. It's like right. a big it's like a it's like a dining hall or big conference or study room. hall, kind of, yeah. kind of yeah, conference yeah, conference room. And there's this magnificent, huge wooden hearth on there with like lathe work pillars and crazy like egg and dart and I and blue tile around the actual. And it was like a Victorian gas insert fireplace, not a uh, not an open fireplace. Oh, that's why I was like, is that a hearth? But it is. Wow. Yeah. So it wasn't like a big open one. It was actually, there was like a gas insert in there. Did they build it that way? They, uh, they could have, those things exist where they'd put like a, they'd put a, maybe not gas, but they would have put like a little stove, like a wood burning stove or could have been gas. I suppose (laughs) they had, they had gas jets in the Victorian era. That's how the little sconces worked. They were gas sconces originally. Um, And yeah, so the stained glass and the tile floor, leading up to that door with the stained glass had this really interesting pattern. It was like hexagonal and then all the, the, um, there were triangles between each hexagon or octagon, actually octagon that were gray. And so they looked like, if you looked at it from a distance, they looked like alternating flag bunting. Hmm. And I've never seen a pattern like that before. Triangular tiles. That's really unusual. I did a little drawing of it. Like that's, Oh, that's helpful. For all the people who can nice. see through the radio. <laughs> okay, I'll take a picture and put yeah. it up on the show notes. Yeah, and you'll it see my sort of notes like, for bad tie. Like Moorish or Moroccan, yeah, did, or, you know? Yeah, which is interesting when juxtaposed with all of this religious iconography business. And the very, like, traditional cloisters and, yeah. It felt very, yeah. But Oxford is that way. Oxford is like... That's true. It can't decide if it's a Christian church or... Byzantine. You know, like we've talked before about the the Oxford Natural History Museum, my favorite building that's like mm-hmm. a, a church of science. <laughs> and they had like Moorish influences around the campus. I mean, it's it's a hodgepodge. Mm-hmm. It's a real hodgepodge. And this building feels like, obviously, it's much younger than Oxford, but it has that same feel. Yeah. Um, but there are all these little tiny details, too. Like, um, for instance, the folding wooden stepladder that Phryne pops out to to 
try to find the um, oh, combination to, to the, the safe. Co- oh, yeah. wow. Okay. That thing was beautiful. Oh, and I only goodness. noticed it because we watched this on the giant screen in my basement. <laughs> it was really helpful. <laughs> I didn't realize how nice that would be to you see it. See huge. You can see I, stuff. You can see stuff in the background. Yeah, you really can. So um, about a year ago, my husband and I installed a crazy cinema system in our basement. We had hitherto, for the previous decade, been um, <laughs> watching movies on a tiny television that didn't receive channels anymore, just was for watching DVDs, on a rolly cart that lived in a closet. <laughs> that was what we did for 10 years, wow. and we got really tired of that. So yeah. we got a, I think it's, I think it's 72 inches on the diagonal. It's a pull-down screen, like a movie theater screen, mm-hmm. and a digital projector in the back of the room. And a really nice sound system, awesome too. Awesome sound system. I, I, yes, I was blown away. I had no idea what I've been missing. And I watch it on a pretty big TV. Yeah. But this this was a whole new level. Yeah. And I think I was able to catch things that and I there wouldn't were, pre- have I mean, previously. And there's speakers in the back of the room, too. So okay. it didn't really pick up with this show. But yeah, but like if there's a big Some things like you can hear it like or, raining behind you. Oh, like that's it's so cool. cool. It's really, really cool. Okay. That's very but cool. But yeah, it's such, it's such high res that you can see... Like you can see like the weave of people's waistcoats and stuff. Oh and my goodness. You can I see that. Fi- I can I should you. put the on the one I haven't watched the Gerald episode on that screen. Oh really? I might be able to figure out once and for all, is it piping or is it binding? I think it's binding, but yeah, yes, I think that, it is it's binding worth, too. It's worth checking out. Yeah. It's really funny. It but honestly it doesn't even matter how big the screen is. There are certain things that I just will never see. Such <laughs> as the, the weave folding step ladder. Yeah, and a folding step ladder. Just never I didn't even like I had to think, where would she have even used that in an episode? Oh, right, yeah, yeah. So, or in Beatrice's office, she has that hideous red lampshade with the ugly pleats on it. <laughs> oh, I hate that thing. And we saw a lot of that thing. So, what was it that was special about the the folding step ladder? I just thought it was a cool detail because huh. it, it's that was clearly a period step ladder. That was not a well. We've got this Home Depot thing right. over here. Like <laughs> that was like a beautiful. Hmm very period wow like stained oak or maple or cherry um step i don't know that's, why yeah. am i blathering about period no, step but, I, but i like the attention to detail yeah. and like franny would have needed to step on something to get up to that yeah that vault it's like so. on the the gerald episode with the you know the shelf with all of the the graduated sizes of cast iron pans in the kitchen that we were oh, drooling yes. over i mean it's stuff like that <laughs> That I love. I love yes. that they actually go to that. Like the props master actually went to the trouble of trying to find a period stepladder for that scene. Yeah. And Chandler noticed. So well, well done. <sighs> I know they make this show just for me. <laughs> <laughs> I do like watching her break the the code, the combination yeah. on Does that, that vault. Does that actually work? I listening through have a glass. No idea. Have you done that? No. Well, I've listened like. To somebody on the other side of a door through a glass. Does it work? Does it, it help? Did, it helps only, like it makes it slightly louder, but it also makes it so muddy, like so fuzzy that it's hard to oh. make out. I don't know. I wonder what it's for. Like, does it focus the sound? Does it. It must create a channel from the sound directly to your to your ear. Well, maybe it blocks out ambient noise? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you need those. Did somebody just make this up for a movie I and now it's and then, like the accepted like, trope? Like, let's see how many people follow yeah. our lead. Yeah. And now everybody's like, grab a glass, stick your ear up to it. Yeah, I don't know if that works. But I really enjoyed watching her do it. And yep. she's like narrating as she goes. And Jack's sort of like embarrassed, but also like curious. 
is she going to get this? And she does, she of course, gets because the she's job done when he can't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. so there, Jack. Um, there's some also there's some good men's wear in this, which is good because Jack has reworn the same what three outfits that he wears so many <laughs> times. Not that I don't like looking at Jack, but he has a very small cost- costume budget. Poor Jack. <sighs> But there's some good. There's some, oh, and Jack's wearing a really bad tie in this. Why? Why? <laughs> Another all caps which, note bad tie. Which tie? It's the one. It's a black tie, and it has these simple white stripes. But the way the tie is tied, the white stripes are vertical, right in the center of the knot. Oh yeah. Okay. And then horizontal for the rest of the tie. Uh huh. And it just it was the stripe was like off center too. I think. Yeah, and slightly off plum and. I just hated it. That would it. be so impossible to get I know. right. Like, That's why you don't put stripes <laughs> like that on your tie to avoid such a thing happening. <sighs> tie, bad ties make me so angry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the useless anger I have over <laughs> just stupid things. Um, but there were some really good menswear. Like um, Mr. Street? Was that his name? Yeah. Like Mr. Street from the street? Charlie Street. From the street. He was basically from the street. That's how they treated <laughs> That's him. That's how they portrayed him, yeah. Yeah. He was like a, his his parents were like dock workers. His dad was like a dock, dock worker yeah. or something. He comes from dock workers. Yes. Yeah. Not noble stock. <laughs> yeah. But he had an awesome jacket. He had like, it had like the belted waist um, around, around the back anyway. And then it had pleats in weird places, including on his patch pockets. There were pleats in the middle of the patch pockets, and they were fabulous. Wow. And I think it was purely decorative. Although I suppose they would have been expander pleats. Expander pleats. Because if you had a pleat on your patch pocket, you would have a much pleat larger pocket. You, I'm writing all of these down. <laughs> pleats in weird places. <laughs> That's my new. It's, it's something. It's the new I album know, by Waffle maybe, Cone Hate Mail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <sighs> have you ever seen a men's suit coat with pleats on the pockets? I don't think I have. I haven't. I think they were to expand the pocket. Oh, sure. Wait, yeah, that wouldn't. That would be like a military thing, wouldn't it? Possibly. Like yeah. car- cargo pants. I mean, that whole idea. Yes, but usually with those, you see like well, they- one pleat in the middle. Okay. This was like four pleats, like a line of four oh, pleats right wow. down the middle. So it was both a practical and a stylistic choice. Okay. And I thought it would look fabulous. It would have been murder to iron if you actually used that pocket <laughs> for, for expanding purposes. Hmm. But yeah, it looked so snappy. I loved that. Um, and also there was another, like Gerald, the ghost of Gerald kind of came back a bit because that other student, the real douchey one, whose name uh, I didn't catch. Amos Oliver. Yeah. Mr. I, I put asshat student. In my I notes. wrote stereotypical prep school type. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good old boy preps, prep school He's so type. gross. Mr. Women Ugh. are my personal playthings because yeah. I'm rich and it's in the blood. It's in my blood. blood. <laughs> uh, we had a prolonged line. making fun uh, of that. It's in my blood. You can actually, so oh, gross. So, so gross. gross. Yeah. Well, he had striped piping on that there jacket yes, of his and that natty little maroon bow tie with his <laughs> white cable knit sweater vest. 
how prep school can you get? Yeah, that was super preppy. Yeah. Because um, in one of the first episodes, the rowing guys, do you remember them? Oh, the, yeah, Mr. This is Ballarat. This flamboyant. Is second, yeah, second episode. Flamboyant purple stripe rowing crew yeah. jackets. So do stripes on fabric, does that equal like university or something in this time period? Kind of. Although Gerald, Gerald did. Yeah. Maybe it was. I, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I was attempting to tie some but things together there. But it does feel there, very, but... like, little Lord Fauntleroy, schoolboy look, all grown up. Yeah. It's like he still thinks it's... He still looks like his mother dressed him, but he doesn't know that yet. <laughs> so he he's thinks he's God's so gift to women. I know. <laughs> Mac is looking awesome, as always. And I love her outfit kind of at the beginning where she's wearing that plaid coat. And she's wearing that hunter green dotted ascot. Hmm which is very nice with, I think that's a blue waistcoat under there. I may have gotten the color wrong, but it really just all looks pretty fabulous with her red hair. I gotta yeah. say. It's, she always looks incredibly put She's like the queen of the fox hunt. It's awesome. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Perpetual fox hunt. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think that was kind of all. Mr. Spore. No, Spall. Spall. Yeah, okay, so we went this entire time right. thinking it was Professor Spore. I wrote like it down as... S-P-O-R-E. I wrote S-P-O-R-R. Oh, okay. But it turns out his name is Spall. S-P-A-L-L. Hello, accent. With the accent, though, it's... <laughs> the whole time. So yeah. I was going to talk about him as, as Professor Spore. I think that fits his personality. I know, it's it like does. A it really does. Spore. It actually reminds me of a X-Files episode. He looks like, um, what's his name? Mitch, what's his name? Oh, Mitch Pelegi? Yes! Kind of. Kind of meaner. looks like, like a, Me- like a meaner, more, um, skinnier Mitch Pelegi. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Mitch Pelegi. I always liked him. But <laughs> yeah, this guy is kind of a, oof, kind of a canker. Yes. Um, but he's a bit of a natty dresser. He has a huge watch fob. He had that massive, like, brass <laughs> dongle hanging from his watch chain it was a little distracting i just i like <laughs> sorry. whoa hello. sorry i have to stop i know yeah okay it's so me i don't see him being a cat burglar though cat burglar number 4327 right. and you know mr butler never even appeared did he he was drugged remember oh, he had the jam right he conveniently had the jam. mr butler is always either yeah, asleep so- or drunk or high or drugged <laughs> When the cat burglars show up. True. Which they inevitably do. They will, yes, of course. So Dot was Just in his stead. Just get a dog. Just get a she dog. She really does need a dog. Yeah. Like a really mean dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can see her rocking a Rottweiler. Yeah. Not, like, something the opposite of a poodle. You know what I mean? Like a Doberman. Yeah. Like a... Like a really stylish Doberman. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I could see this. Yeah. Come here, kitty. Like, in the books, she acquires a cat. But and they uh, grow closer as the books go on. Like the cat, she what? basically Franny like is that her, puts is up that with her the cat. Familiar, like here is my familiar. His name is Azrael. <laughs> like what? What's it with the women and cats? Don't know. Just get her an attack dog. And call it good. She needs it really, really bad. Cause yeah, I I don't see him as a cat burglar either. And he kind of beat the crap out of her. Like yeah. It was. I mean, maybe I'm were, underestimating what a 70-year-old academic type can do, but... There were two really solid thunks to, like, her chest or her ribs or something. And then he ran out. Like, he did not look like the type who could handle that. No. Although, I mean, he did some 
stuff in the Secret Service Secret, or whatever. Yeah, but know. he was a code breaker, not a... Yeah. Not I don't a, know. Maybe it took him to darker Jason places. wasn't Jason Bourne. Let's put it at that. <laughs> right. Yeah. It is, I think, very hard to stretch the brain to think that he did this. Yeah. But. And does everybody know where she lives? Yes. Everyone seems to. Wouldn't it be to. better for her to not be quite so obvious about her identity <laughs> and where she lives? Because everybody has broken into her house at this point. Yeah. If she's not going to put up bars on those windows, she needs a guard dog. Or a safe. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Something. I don't know. She probably has a safe. Never seen her use it. It's for secrets I, that we are not allowed I, to know. I guess. I don't know. Uh, Maybe that's where she keeps the arsenal of weapons. I thought that was Mr. Butler's oh, steamer yeah. trunk in the back is full of Uzis. Okay. Where are the Uzis when you need them? Right. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. I, I get critical about that, I know. <laughs> Um, Franny has some new outfits in this that we have not seen. And actually, so does Dot. Dot has that nice frock she's wearing. And that frilly pinny is cracking me up. The frilly what? Pinny, the apron that she's wearing. That is really cute. Cracking me up. But she's, she's wearing this, um, kind of patterned floral jump or frock dress. And it's got this interesting panel on, on the, the breastplate or whatever. I don't know what that piece is. Bodice, bodice, I guess. I I know the men's wear pieces. I don't know the women's wear pieces, hmm. but there's there's horizontal pleats in it in just that little panel. I did another drawing of it. It's kind of that oh. triangular panel, and okay. and then her brooch was over the top of it, and then it had mm-hmm. these little horizontal pleats that were really lovely hmm. and fussy. Yeah, I don't know something. I could see her having made that dress for herself or something. Really nice, and then. Franny is rocking the sc- the scarves in this one. Yeah, she really is. That red one I is love just that red one. stunning. Where, like, it's one like one side's a... crimson and the other side's vermilion or something. Yeah, and one has a sheen and the other side doesn't. Mm-hmm. And it's just, oh, yeah, it, it kind of makes me drool. The color yeah. and then also the texture of it is just stunning. I didn't like the matching feather because the feather didn't quite match. Yeah, I think I chose to ignore that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she also wears this white scarf with this big black and kind of pearl like mother of pearl brooch at her shoulder that it's it looks almost like a pilot scarf but it's silk and it's kind of draped front and back over her shoulder it's so i love that look i know it's so elegant she wore something like that Mm. in dead man's chest oh right when they go to look at the the fresh blood on the dock and she's got that amazing red i think it was red scarf but it's it's the same idea it's like tacked to her shoulder with a right. brooch i think that was a very period detail and the only other thing that i have and it's a lot i've written a lot because this is kind of my thing is the illuminated manuscript oh yeah can yeah, I, yeah 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 i you, rant a bit please it's not really a rant actually i don't really so first of all why is it called the book of hours can we start there yeah um a so what I take it to mean, because Beatrice said it was the Book of Hours of Juana the Mad. So I believe it, that to mean it was the personal Book of Hours that belonged to Juana the Mad. Why they have it, I don't know. I never figured that out. Although it turns out that was a red herring anyway, because mm-hmm. there was that military code in there. Which also was a red... Like, what the hell was up with that anyway? It was... Yeah. That what one. did that have to do with the skulls and It was just the, in MacGuffin, right? I guess. Yeah, it was... It convoluted things even further. And, and then it just turned out it was about, like, some completely different racist, sexist professor 
doing his research on racism and sexism. Uh, I don't know. The book. So the blood of one of the mad, there was no blood of one of the mad and one of the mad had nothing to do with anything and neither did the book. And I don't know. Yeah. We, I think they mentioned that like having that book there was a good thing for the university or something. It's like, yeah. So let's trash the hell I, out of it. Yeah. So who did that? Who tore the pages out? The, our, um, our asshole student guy. Oh, I Amos believe. Oliver. Oh, he didn't, would. Didn't he? He would. I actually don't know. I don't remember. I, I don't remember who he did, did it because he found. He said he found it on the desk, and then oh he yeah, but he had tore it for... a page out of it and stuck it in the safe and then closed the thing. Although why he did, did that? Did he I... tear it out or did it just like happen to? I come don't know. Out? Maybe it did come out because oh, was it Professor Spall who tore? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't I just know. don't know. I, I just noticed the book. Every time it I didn't pains notice me, anything they did with the book. It pains me that pages were torn out, and so I'm always like, I'm going to figure out who did that. My and little then I like bookbinder self was like, no, no, <laughs> you can't blaspheme. You can't do that. It's awful. It doesn't even matter if it's an illuminated manuscript. Just tearing tearing pages out of Respect a book. Respect books, like, people. I know it's painful. I yeah, I cannot handle. Now, I, I'm okay with marginalia. Mm. I make marginalia. I wouldn't make margin... Actually, side tangent of tangent of tangent, books of ours often had marginalia in them, and in fact, it is often the marginalia that makes them very valuable. Oh, because okay. Because their owners used to write things in them. Right. So okay. that's a whole area of study right there is medieval marginalia. <laughs> um, so I'm generally okay with that. But tearing pages out of books is like... Number one mortal sin. It is not if cool. If you ask me. Yeah, no. There's just no excuse Thou for that. Thou shalt not so, tear pages out of your books. If it was Amos Oliver, that totally makes sense. What a douche. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So books of ours were a particular type of illuminated manuscript. Um, they started out as um, the Psalter or breviary that was used in the liturgy. So... A larger size one, like the one that was used in this book, or in this show, which actually, that was my only beef about it, was that it was too big to mm. be her personal breviary. And I'll get to that in a second. Wait, so, what's, what? tell me the word breviary. Breviary is, it basically means abbreviation. It's mm. an abbreviated version of um, liturgical texts. Okay. So it's the, the texts it's the that notes. are needed for the liturgy. Got it. And usually a breviary was pretty general so that they could use it for more than one mass. They could use it for most of mm. the liturgical year. Okay. The the breviary contains what you'd need for mass. So it has certain readings. It has, it, it generally, it would contain, and I have a list here, it would have the liturgical calendar um, mm. slash perpetual calendar. So it wouldn't be just for any given year. It'd be for generally what they would, each mass that they would celebrate throughout the year. It would have excerpts from each gospel, like the ones they're most likely to read at mass. So they mm. don't have to go hunt down a whole Bible and look it up. Um, it would have the 15 Psalms of degrees, which I tried to look those up and I don't quite understand what that means, but it's the, the Psalms that the pilgrims used. And I don't know why they are such Okay. I think it's like Psalm 170 on. Hmm. I don't know. Okay. People who are religious, let, let us know. I don't know what those mean. Um, the seven penitential psalms, which I also don't really know what that means, but I assume that's what you read for penance or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, the litany of the saints, uh, the office of the dead, which 
this is a really, I actually have a book about Book of Hours right in front of us right now. And there are some really awesome bits in here about the Office of the Dead, because these things were often illuminated. And the Office of the Dead often came with illuminations of skeletons Ooh. and skulls and other cool stuff, because wow. they were pretty obsessed with that. So there's some really cool skull illustrations that you often find. Hmm. Uh, like like here. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and the Hours of the Cross, which I don't quite know. Oh, I think that are those the Stations of the Cross? Is that the same thing? Possibly. Okay. But it also was set up along the lines of, and it was called the Book of Hours because it was set up along the eight canonical hours, which mm. is when the monks would monks in a monastery and nuns in an abbey would celebrate mass. So you'd celebrate mass basically every three hours um, every day. And so there's matins, which is around midnight. There's lauds, which is dawn, which is about 3 a.m. There's prime, which is about 6 a.m. Terce was mid-morning. Sext was around noon. Nun was the ninth hour or around mid-afternoon. Vespers was the evening prayer about 6 p.m. And Compline was about 9 p.m. Oh, that was man. late. That is a grueling schedule right Every there. Every single day. Three hours. Yeah. So this breviary that these monks and these priests would have in these churches, and they would follow their everyday liturgical lives to, um, at a certain point in the medieval period, prominent everyday citizens wanted to have their own versions of these. And they, it, uh, it came, there was a fad for incorporating monastic life into their private lives. And so that was where this started. So the, I think the books of hours started around the 13th century. Um, the 1200s was around when the earliest ones showed up. And at first they were only in the hands of very, very wealthy people because this was before the advent of printing. So they would have been illuminated like any other illuminated manuscript. They would have been hand painted, hand written. They would have been completely custom. So often the prayers that were in there would have the name of the person who owned it inserted, written in the <laughs> prayer. <laughs> wow. So like, you know, pray for Bob or blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> Um, but what's really interesting is these became very, very popular. And even the high ranking servants of these wealthy people would have their own books of hours. And because they were custom, the, however ornate they were depended on how much money the person had. So servants did have them hmm. at times and they would have simpler ones. Like they mm-hmm. might not have full color eliminations in them. Um, they also called those miniatures. If you've ever heard the term, like, there's a miniature in this book, or the hand-painted miniatures, oh, it doesn't mean miniature in size. It actually comes from the Latin word miniare, which means to illuminate. Oh, wow. So it later became a tradition of small okay. paintings that were done by hand, but oh, originally it came from illuminated manuscripts. Huh. There's this whole world here. Yes. Um, by the time printing came around in the, you know, late... 15th century or so, they started printing these things, wood blocks. They became simpler. They became mass produced. Workshops started making stock books of hours. And so because of this whole tradition, books of hours are the most common um, eliminated manuscript you'll find. There are tens of thousands of them out there in the world. Mm -hmm. And there's a famous one called the Black Hours in the Morgan Library in New York City. It's all done on black stained vellum. Oh, wow. So it's all painted with, like, gold and things on black okay. vellum. Um, there's the Duke de Berry's Book of Hours is really famous. Um, that's from the 15th century. There's the, the – a lot of them came out of Belgium for some reason. Hmm. And um, and even in Paris, there's a museum. The museum uh, used to be called the Musée de Cluny, and I think it's now the Museum of the Middle Ages. It is where the unicorn tapestries are. 
if oh. you've ever seen those, Lady and the Unicorn. Yeah, isn't that in the cloisters in New York? No. That, there is another unicorn tapestry okay. that was there and now is in the Met in New York. This was That was done after the Lady and the Unicorn tapestries were done. Oh, okay. Um, but they may, have been, they may have been the same workshop, I'm not sure. Okay. Um, those are in Paris. Hmm. There's six of them. And in that same museum, if you keep going past the unicorns, which is really hard because the unicorns are amazing, <laughs> if you go to the back of the museum, they have a whole room full of books of hours that they've taken out of the binding and reframed so that each page is in a framed and you can page through the books. Oh, wow. Okay. It's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. And these were terrifying when they did it. Yeah. (laughs) But they, they tended to be small in size. And so, I mean, I've, I've paged through these books and most Mm. of them were maximum eight by 10. Mm. And a lot of them were pocket sized because most of them, interestingly, were made for women, probably because these wealthy women weren't allowed out in public very much, except for special events. Um, Wow. Especially young women who wanted to be, they, they were people kept an eye on them before they were married so they often were given these books of hours as like confirmation presents wedding presents that sort of thing when you're done with your sampler go read your yeah, little, exactly your exactly. little bible and then they would make notes in the margins wow. it's just fascinating this whole world is so fascinating to me and oh, no. it sounds so terrible it sounds awful <laughs> Yeah, this very rigid uh-huh. life where you're going to mass three every three hours, like. <sighs> but I mean, that's the way life was for, mm-hmm. especially these prominent families. They they needed to be seen as being as religious as, as possible. Now I don't know anything about one one of the Mads Book of Hours. If she probably had one, she was a queen. She probably had mm-hmm. a book, and she lived at the right time. She probably had a Book of Hours or three or whatever. But it's not. There's they, nothing they just that probably made it up for the show. Probably. Right? Okay. I couldn't find anything that says, oh, yeah, she's got this famous book of hours that, you know. And I still don't know what the deal was with putting the code in there and. MacGuffin. Yeah. yeah. I did think it was interesting when Beatrice noted that, you know, oh, but see, this ink is synthetic, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And that is absolutely true. If it were modern ink, it would have been synthetic. And that's how you would tell. Like those same Lady in the Unicorn tapestries, mm-hmm. when they were found in the, I don't know, 18th century or 19th century, they were, the whole bottom foot or so was gone. They'd been eaten away by rats. So in Stupid rats. Stupid rats. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so in the 19th century, they rewove mm. um, the bottom, the bottoms of them all. And wow. if you look at them now in the museum, that bottom section is completely faded. And the oh, rest interesting. Of them, yeah, okay. Yeah, the rest huh. of them look like they were woven yesterday. Oh, wow. Because the vegetable dyes lasted longer than the early synthetic dyes wow. did. So that's how anybody could tell. I thought the showdown at the end with Mac and Phryne, it was kind of fun. So it, was it was a very Murder, She Wrote ending. It was. Like, well, let's this... corner the murderer and make him confess. Right, and also let him be on the side with the door. Like, that's not so how So he can these... just, like... So he can just... Yeah, no. He totally did the, like, 1950s football yearbook <laughs> pose with that skull. He and he shoves Jack. But, yeah, before Jack gets there, I kind of, I loved the wrath that they were bringing to him. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, it was like these women are taking on this dude who has basically, his life's work has been to show that women are not... That are stupid. Women are stupid. Here's the proof to show that women yeah. don't have the intellectual capacity. And then it turns out... 
he the woman was the first African American woman to graduate from such and such university Stanford or with honors. It wasn't yeah. Stanford. It was it something I Stanford, but yeah. But yeah, with honors, blah blah blah. I did totally cringe when they used the the word negress. I know that's what that's it's, what they yeah. would have said. I yeah, but no, that's oof. <laughs> that's not a that's not a good word. It's like Jewess. Like yeah, like those just, are terms that they used, but I can't ugh. handle them. No, it's ugh. it's gross. But you're right; they would have probably used that. Um, I just really enjoyed. It was like a showdown. It was like these two women against yeah. this asshole man. But I, but okay, here's the thing. I couldn't remember who the hell that guy was because it wasn't well, Professor he was, Spall. Right. It, it, I was like, wait, guy. who is he? Well, Phryne, like totally gives him credit for being interesting to Mac or something. Or like he, I think um, early on, he's brought in as a good guy. And he's because the one, he hired Mac. Yeah, he hired Mac. He like works with her. I don't know. And something if he about... thinks women are such morons, why? Other than the fact that she's the only doctor in Melbourne, <laughs> why did he hire her? Because he wanted was he her trying to, to reproduce. Was he waiting for her to screw up so he could document that for his paper? I thought that she was just going to be used for breeding in his mind. Was he educating her to then form? Well, I caught her. I caught spawn. her thing at the end where she said, uh, "My job was to procreate," but I didn't get it that it was from him. Well, no, she's like, also a little she's old not, to be getting to not procreating. with him, but like as a result of his teaching or something, or like working with him I and the osmosis that. of his brilliance filtering we'll over just to make her, her and then make. Smart babies. smart babies. I don't. I don't know. You lost me. <laughs> you lost they me lost on that me one. So many times in this episode, <laughs> in so many different ways. Yeah. No. Just a showdown at the end. I enjoyed that. I but, like how but, they had that little cloth over the skull. Yeah. Like, right? I have a really tiny dead body under here. <laughs> oh no! It's a skull. <laughs> the whole episode. You said it's like murder. She wrote. And they use all of these really funny, like detective tropes yeah so the flashback which is in like right. a bluish tinge right it's always in a bluish yeah. tinge and then they're co- it's like on a unsolved mysteries yes, where they say dramatization at the bottom of the screen <laughs> they reenact that's the exactly what it is of sally joe or whatever <laughs> oh my god that's what it was and then robert love, stack is they're narrating. standing around that blackboard trying to decode the encryption oh, in right. the book right which of double course, agents double agent they needed pulled. a whole book of hours for one I, sentence of code. i still don't and again like i don't even need to go down this but and all the pages how were ripped this, out. how do they know what order how they were this in? book supposed to get to the people who are gonna know have, how to use the, i uh, <laughs> anyway anyway as they're standing yeah, around this that extremely valuable illuminated manuscript <laughs> from the 15th century doesn't stand out at all i it isn't weird at all that I'm carrying this yeah, thing around no, in a not train a station in the war. Like, it's what? not something that people are going to totally pay attention to the whereabouts of. No, it's just this random. Yeah, no, it. I don't understand that whole thing. I don't need to. I don't care. I don't <sighs> care enough to need to know. But I did love the scene where they're in her parlor trying to break the code and they're standing around the blackboard and do you know what totally flashed in my mind what did you ever see math net oh yeah from square Square one one. square one 
so good. Square One. Yeah, so I grew up with Square One, which was on, it was a PBS show for kids about math. It and was they like, did a parody of Dragnet called MathNet. Yes. And which so, was way better than Dragnet. Dragnet was so boring. I loved MathNet. I think that I can credit MathNet with like my early love of mysteries. Yeah. They also did a parody of Pac-Man called MathMan. Yes, they did. That's right. I learned a lot of math yeah. from that show. I will say. I mean, it and was... Bobby McFerrin recorded a song. Everything you want, anything you want to be, you got to know math. That's which right. I cannot find that song. Oh wow! Because he's it's got to be somewhere. It's not on YouTube because they clamped down on the copyright mm, stuff on that. Okay. I can't huh. find it anywhere. That was a good song. There were some actually very catchy songs. There was one about Archimedes. Oh, I don't remember Archimedes. that one. Archimedes. <laughs> I can still sing these songs. And I have actually from Italy, I got a, a stovetop coffee pot thing and it's gorgeous and it's called Archimede. And oh. every time I use it, I sing oh, the Archimede. Archimede. That's so yeah. funny. Anyway. this It's got to be on DVD it's, somewhere. It's got to be somewhere. Square Somebody, one. there are too many of us who grew up with this stuff. Yeah. yeah. We, it's, it's somewhere. But yeah. I couldn't believe how reminiscent of MathNet it was because they were always trying to solve this mystery and the mystery would go and it was kind of a Mulder and Scully sort of oh, dynamic totally. too yeah yeah it was it one was, a was skeptical and mm-hmm. one was like a believer Pat oh they, were, they switched out the woman it was Kate Monday first yes and then Pat Tuesday which is a, a play on Joe Friday from Dragnet oh sure duh yeah with Harry Morgan Harry Morgan was not Joe Friday I don't remember who the guy who played Joe Friday but yeah, and I'm, then the guy who looked like Harry Morgan from MathNet, I don't remember his name, but he was in a oh, bunch of character man. roles, including uh-huh. he's the druggist in Grumpy Old Men. Yes, I remember that. Says, you've, got your, you've got your oils in, ma'am, straight from <laughs> California. I, I think I hooted when I was yeah. in the theater watching that movie. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. what is his name? It's George Frankly. George Frankly. Good job. Jeez. This stuff, this is what is preventing See, useful I, information from staying in my head. I, I get boners about vintage letters <laughs> and you are like, you know all the names of all the obscure character oh, actors. Yeah. Yeah. No, oh. I, I have to, I have to attribute MathNet with like the early love of detectives and also detective couples oh because i mean hello that was like that like warmed you up for the x-files it totally did it really did which then warmed me up for miss fisher's murder mysteries so yeah yeah. it sadly did not instill a love of math in me i still loathe math yeah i do too but i learned a couple things but i do enjoy geeking out about knowledgey things probably <laughs> thanks to that show so but they were always trying to break codes and like yeah fig- they were trying to triangulate something so they could see where the call came that yep. blah, 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 blah. yeah so it was that scene yep and i can't believe i hadn't made the connection before it's sort of like now this show was a little bit older than square one so it was more my brother's uh thing than mine but three two one contact i watched that yeah i love that show they the secret had the bloodhound game yeah they did at the end they did deal so yeah like just like MathNet, it was at the end of every episode i think every episode and it was like a five minute like here's the mystery of the week which we were going to solve progressively right (laughs) in five five minute segments right until we get to the cause being like the mirror will fog up if the shower is on so there's no way he could have seen the guy in the mirror because yeah that was actually one of them wow i actually remember this you have a good memory for this stuff i just remember like the theme song and three two yeah contact 
is the secret. It's the moment when everything happens. Contact. <laughs> it's the reason. It's oh wow. Okay. I still remember like it was like a montage of like sciencey things for the mm-hmm. for the theme, like a, mm-hmm. a dropper and like a microscope and yes, like a planet, like super and focused, a, yeah. in, zoomed in on yeah. that. Yeah, I remember basically learning... the Sherlock theme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It kind of it pretty much is. Yeah. And I learned flora and fauna, those terms oh, from that show. Good job. I learned what the inside of a tennis ball looks like. Oh, I, I learned that by turning. I had a baseball. elementary school class where we turned them into pinhole cameras. So we got to saw. Oh, no way. Yeah, we sawed them in half on bandsaws. <gasps> and then That's I so still cool. have mine somewhere. Are you I, kidding me? I still got it. Oh, your school was so much better than mine. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, anyway, so yeah, they used all kinds of funny things in this and it was just like, it was laid on real thick in this episode with the flashbacks and the code breaking and the, and the GoPro on the motorbike. Hate, 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 hate. Like way to just yank us right out of the 1920s. Like nothing says this is not correct period, like a GoPro. Yeah. I it was unnecessary. The only and then other, I didn't need to see up Jack's nostrils for that I, it scene was, either. Yeah, it's not like a flattering angle either. Yeah. And it just didn't make sense. They did it one other time when they are riding the roller, the roller coaster, coaster at Luna Park. Which that was that kind of fun. That makes sense. Like it was fun, it was cute, it made sense and it and wasn't it felt like it, it was out of good what angle. It's like that you're actually there and it's you know, everything's rattling. This just felt like a GoPro. I don't understand why they went with this and I mean, and then also using the bike was totally unnecessary. The guy was just running through the cloisters. And the, yeah, they were on that bike for what four seconds? Yeah, but they have a whole conversation okay, like you. as she's hopping on the back. It's what we do best: ride a bike for four seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, what the hell? Yeah, the, the whole conversation took about as long as it took to get to the guy who's running away. Not and I'm all just picturing she pulls out this gun and does this like dramatic like stick him up. And I, I was just waiting for her to, like, clock him in the head with her elbow by accident <laughs> while she was doing that. It was, it was just, yeah, it was overly dramatic on every single front. And, and oh, we're friends again after that yeah, because I climbed on your bike. I, yeah. I, Is that a metaphor? I really, I needed it. <laughs> Is that what the kids are calling it? <laughs> climbed on your bike. I just did not like the end. The The resolution of this was terrible. Like, the their fight, the whole, you know, catching the criminal... All of it was very disappointing, and I need more. And normally, and I, I feel just, like we I'm get still more. Like, I'm still trying to like piece together all of the random scenes of like Beatrice standing in this puddle of blood. Why did she? Is that where do the this? manuscript was buried? It was near there, but it wasn't there. There, and the manuscript was filthy when they dug it up, but not bloody. But not bloody. It was like off in the in the beauty bark under the shrubs. Oh, and we didn't even talk about the most obvious thing: was why the f. Was there a freaking pre-sharpened katana sitting on a coffee table in the middle of a hallway? Like, what the hell? It was a gift from the Japanese. Like, here's our Spanish book of hours, and then here's a freaking Japanese katana. So you can go Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on our ass. Security restrictions were a lot looser back then. But also, yeah, but like, they would have at least actually, hung the damn thing yeah, on the wall. It seems offensive to the Japanese to just put their beautiful gift on this table yeah. and hope that nobody kills somebody with it, which they, they keep the do. eliminated manuscript in a safe, but they can't even hang the sword on a wall. Yeah, that was not right. Like any red blooded Englishman would have done. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they would have stuffed that and mounted it so fast. <sighs> uh, I, I just, yeah. I don't know. I still don't get. 
Oh, and P.S. the 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 skull in question that had to be hidden at all costs oh. was from an American okay. woman, and oh, and but th- finding the skull. <laughs> This scene drove me so crazy. Okay, I couldn't, but the tile okay. in the background was awesome. Yes, the tile. Okay, so There's they're little, interviewing. Like, duck and goose pattern on that tile. They're like closing in on the murderer, and and, and suddenly s- Hugh has was to like, pee. Um, sir, um, sir, um, Can sir, and you're just like, dude, shut up, just go. Yeah. So yeah, Jack keeps shutting him down. Finally, he's able to go, and he runs. And I have to say, like. It's a little uncomfortable to watch this. I sort of don't need it to watch It was all set up for his Hugh. priceless reaction, Yeah, though. his reaction's great, but then Although he, I like... I think it was like, oh, he totally got pee everywhere. Well, yeah, he then he, like, checks himself. I'm like, dude, I don't want to be here when this is happening. Like, I, this is an you aspect... You know half the fandom is like, I do! <laughs> I I just really didn't, yeah. I, I'm, this probably fulfilled somebody's fantasy, but not mine. And what and was it felt like TMI. Of, what, what was it that was, rolled up in the teeth of the oh, skull? Oh, yeah, I don't know. Did they even, did they tell was us? Was that the identification? Th- no. Maybe. It was like a little tiny scroll stuffed in the jaw. And there's just. But then also like if you're Hugh and then you look up and there's a skull, like <laughs> the, school, the school is full of skulls. Why would you have your eye it on that? It was a little close. Like it is yeah. a little bit like, it, you know, I just, I don't know. That whole scene drove me I absolutely crazy. I think the whole crazy. show, this whole episode, like. They get like 11 billion gold stars for <laughs> detail in props and scenery and costume, and they get like zero for plot continuity and uh, whatever. There was there was way too much going on, which is always the problem. And we have trouble following it anyway. But this, <laughs> yes, yeah, but this is like wait, notoriously what? bad. But this what? was, I think, this was expecting it, too much. Usually, we of, can piece it together again, right. like when we're sitting here, and we watch this one together, and we're both like, "What the hell just happened?" <laughs> I've watched this episode so many times, I still have no idea who did all of the different things and why yeah. and why we needed to see it. Yeah, the music was different a, a little bit it this was, time, and, and not. In a good way. No, like, I feel like it all was just a little too, like, detective show tropey or something. Like, yeah. it all, it just went too far that one direction, yeah. which I enjoy that direction, but not necessarily in this show. I feel like this, this show is such a mishmash of other tropes. I think we should rename it Sherlock She Wrote. Because <laughs> <laughs> it totally is. It doesn't feel like a Friday episode. It feels mm-hmm. like... Franny stuck into a guest star in some other show. You know, they used to do it all the time in the 80s where, like, Tom Selleck would make a cameo as Magnum P.I. in Murder, She Wrote. Like, they totally did that. That's right. Or, like, Columbo (laughs) would make a cameo as Columbo. Like, they did that all the time in the 80s. They would do these, like, in-character cross cameos (laughs) as show tie-ins. And this kind of felt like that. I think you're right. Yeah, and she was different, and he was a little bit different. Like, everything was just a little bit off. So let's call it that. They were just both thrust into a completely different show. a different show. universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. An AU for this one. Yeah, I, <sighs> I'm happy to get back to the other, the original world. I like that one a lot better. Mm-hmm. So at the end, when they're in her parlor and Mac has just left after telling... Mac does have <laughs> a great line. When she says intelligent women do have their uses. That is Phryne. Is it Phryne? It's Phryne's line. Sorry, my bad. Mac has just described why the Professor Bradbury even had her around. And then Phryne is trying to like goad Jack. And so she says that line. And he he does his little mouth twitch mm -hmm. like he always does. I think, yeah, it's like part blush, part like, I enjoy this very much, but I can't let on. (laughs) Yeah. And then they they try to resolve their spat 
with... Well, they sort of do by the standards of 1928 dude I conversations, I guess. It's all, like, using dancing terms, which is... That's not very dude, but it's very, like... Dudes knew it's how like, to dance It's like back sports then. terminology. That's what yeah, it is. Yeah, oh, is there anything I hate more yeah, than right? sports metaphors? Especially sports when they're, metaphors. like, prolonged and it just goes uh, on and on, like... Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it it was like, like sports terminology, only dancing terminology. I went and that's for the touchdown, but I couldn't close the deal or whatever. <laughs> I can't even. I'm already mixing my metaphor. I don't know what the hell. Yeah. But yeah. So they're talking about these different types of dances and a good waltz is slow and close. So I think they land on a waltz and he said he'll stay in time, which is him saying like, okay, I won't like. We can be friends again. <laughs> You can come back. <laughs> we can solve crimes together. Which is another, also brings me back to Sherlock, because he's always in a very childlike way saying, like, would you like to solve crimes? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's play house. Let's yeah, right. Let's play dollies. Let's solve crimes. Let's solve crimes. Yeah. I, I just needed more after having to sit through two hours of, like... Mopey Jack. <sighs> yeah. And Franny, like... I don't like, like Mopey anybody... Mopey that Jack why is I really hated hard the second to take. Twilight book. It was nothing but mopey uh, mope mope. Yeah, can't handle it. Moping, especially with somebody who just generally does not react much at all, is the worst. Because you just like even if they aren't moping, you assume you won't that they're moping. Me. Guess I won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I don't like mopey Jack. I don't like annoyingly jealous Jack. And yeah. we've gotten basically when Jack acts like a normal dude. <laughs> right? I can't stand him. <laughs> that is the tie-in, isn't it? That's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when he's one, pouty, when he's mopey, yeah. when he's jealous, when he he almost never gets like alpha male. Although he does pull rank a couple times. He pulls times. rank. That's I think that's but the he's only not time an alpha male type. No. Thank God. But yeah, yeah, whenever he exhibits textbook maleness, I <laughs> don't want anything to do with him. <laughs> And so this is the only second, the second time you'd, you'd seen this, right? Yeah. That's so interesting to and me. And I thought it, I thought it was just like, because I keep rewatching my favorites, like Murder yeah. All Mode and all that. And they're in the Christmas one, my second favorite. So excited to talk about that one with I you. I already have my notes on that. Like <laughs> already. Right. I but, do too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, so I thought, I thought maybe it was cause I just hadn't gotten around to really rewatching it. But mm-hmm. now I think it's cause I was like, that's Death and the Maiden in season three was that one for me. You know, I think I've only seen season three one time. What? Yeah. Oh, there's some gold in that. I know, but I, but what? my reasoning there is because there wasn't any more. And I felt, oh, you know, yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can't tell you the number of times I've been texted by somebody that I wrangled into watching this show. Like, what? That That's was the all end? I know. <laughs> I'm like, it's I'm like, really but sorry. I, I do this Join all the time. The like, when I know there's only so much of something, I, like, never get to the end of it. Mm-hmm. For Case in point, when when David Bowie died, he was my favorite ever, 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 ever. And I had just bought, he, he died, like, the day after his album came out. Mm-hmm. And I had just bought it, and I hadn't gotten around to listening to it yet. And then he died, and then I didn't listen to it for more than a year. Oh, wow. I even did my whole, like... My, when my favorite musicians die, I like play all of their albums in order. Mm. I played all of his albums in order, except that one. I could not bring myself to listen to it because it was the last one that I there would that. be. Yep. So I finally listened to it about a month ago and then like cried. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's such a different listen when you know there isn't any more. Yeah. 
Yeah. I do. I think I've talked about how I do that with books too. That I I'm do really that too. Like I don't I read the last one because like I just I know there isn't going to be any more. Well, like every book, I'll stop like two chapters oh, before really? the end. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I can't handle it. Like wow. I have to. I have to talk Sometimes myself into it. Sometimes the endings are so satisfying. Sometimes they are, but it also means this really amazing book that I was enjoying being in. You know, I had a hard time. Done, so one of my favorite books is The Once and Future King. And, uh, the what? The Once and Future King. Mm. It's about King Arthur, okay. but it was written. It's an allegory of like the 20th century. Hmm. Um, it's it's what the Sword and the Stone came from. Oh, okay. That that retelling of Merlin teaching the boy and turning him into fish hmm. and stuff that came from the Once and Future King. Okay. Um, it's one of my favorite books, and I, when I finished it, and there was no more. <laughs> like I was bereft. And I like kept trying to like fill the void with other books, and I'm like, I don't want to read this. I just want more of this other book, which I think is where fan fiction comes from. Yeah, honestly, it does. It's I like, think I don't want this that... to end. I want this world to continue. I want more of this. And I, so I've read all the fan fiction and continue to, but I, I think I'm going to reread the books, the Carrie Greenwood books again, yeah. because I just like being in the world, yeah. and that's really what it is. Like, take me back there. Yep. I like it, even if it's a slightly different world than the TV version. I don't care. It's still Friday in yeah. her world. So, yeah. And that's often what gets me with, a, like, that's part of why, I, like, I love the Harry Potter books so much is mm. because, like, there's a lot about her writing that is not terribly original. Like, she's ripped off a lot. I wouldn't say ripped off, but she is heavily influenced, let's say, by, like, Roald Dahl and certain other authors. But her world building is so good. It's amazing. Like, it's unparalleled. It's the best world building I've yeah. ever read. Yeah. I mean, she it's constructed it's as, this as good or better as like than like Tolkien. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard the comparison made yeah. between those two. I mean, he and was I, kind of like the ultimate like archaic world builder. So along the lines of the alternate universe thing, all the skidding that the characters were doing, <laughs> what was, it was up with slapstick? That? It was. This whole episode had a lot of almost slapstick. It really was. Jack is like sliding all over that university, yeah. and then. Hugh, I think, does? I can't remember. Hugh does. Okay. Franny does not, although women's shoes were not yeah, exactly known for their traction. I know. You'd think that of anyone, Franny's shoes would be right. the ones. But no, Jack like, men's shoes, makes a point of it. They have leather soles, so leather. Okay. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hazard a guess that Nathan Page is like, you know what would be really cool? He's the best line I've before. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's my guess. I'm sure he really would. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Nathan Page. <sighs> yeah. Do you have a toast for us today? Um, it's it's not the most brilliant thing I've ever come up with, but how about two intelligent women? I like that. You know, intelligent women <laughs> do, in fact, have their uses. So, as the British folk singer Richard Thompson would say, "I'm hots for the smarts." <laughs> <laughs> two intelligent ladies. Two intelligent ladies. Cheers. There's no ginger in ginger ale, and people are still like, have some ginger ale if you're not feeling well.